0: We'll turn your Bibles to the book of James tonight, the book of James, chapter number one. Life. Life is, at times, very exciting. It's it's fun. We We have experiences that we look at and and you know we refer to them as mountaintop experiences we refer to them as as just defining moments days and times in our life things that you know are just thrilling and exciting and and uh, we we enjoy that but life is also at times very challenging and uh, we can't live on the mountaintop I think one of the challenges of today's society is that people have lost the ability to go through the valley. Um, they, they've they not learned how to do that, maybe because of the softness of our society, um, you know, uh, because everything's been handed to us, or I, I don't know what it is exactly, but there's they just, they don't know how to have a bad day without losing it, you know, without uh, you know, just oh, life's coming to an end, and, and woe is me. And and we need to learn how to take the valleys and the mountaintops. That that is part of life. There's no life; it, it, it rains on the just and the unjust. There's no life that's without trouble. There's we all experience and have times of joy and excitement. I mean, you know, John, he's. Gonna him and Stephanie, you know, come December, and have a new baby in their home. You know, they're exciting days, man. Those are fun until the second or third month when they haven't <laughs> haven't had any sleep, <laughs> and they're like, "Why did we do this to ourselves?" Uh, you know, the challenging times too. You know, uh, so you have you have both sides of it, and that that's part of life. And and you know, God forbid, but the time the uh, uh, child gets sick and you're you're so concerned for them and and consumed and burdened about that and and it becomes heavy, the weight of it and and you just have challenges and the thing about this book, the book of James that I love and I'm going to preach a few messages that kind of I've entitled Practical Lessons from James and that is I, I love the book of James because it's such a practical down to earth book. Uh, It it is just bright bottom shelf, and uh, I I enjoy that. It's straightforward. In the life that we have, that we get to live, we have the exciting times and we have the challenging times, but in this life, some of the joys are that we talked about this morning is that we don't have to walk through it alone. We have the family of God with us. But not only that, as a Christian, we have the Spirit of God to guide us and to comfort us at a times in those hours when no words that any man could say, no, no arm around the shoulder, no, uh, you know, nobody else's presence, but the Spirit of God comes and brings comfort. And we have the Word of God, this book, that guides us. We have these things that help us in this life, and the book of James is kind of a very practical look at life. This evening, just beginning with chapter number one, keying in towards the later part of the chapter, but beginning with chapter number one, we're going to just learn, learning to live, learning to live. In light of the fact that there's good days, there's bad days, there's, there's fun times, there's challenging times. But as Christians, we need to learn how to live. And James gets us some very practical truths with regards to that. For beloved, it's by following the word of truth that we are able to avoid the snares of Satan. It's that we're able to overcome And be victorious in this Christian life. It's by following the words that we can. Reject or resist. The devil. And he'll flee from you. Uh, It is as we meditate and memorize. The word of God that we're strengthened. And enlightened. And we're able to say yes. To the spirit and no to the flesh. That's the joy of it. It takes applying the word, it takes making the word part of our life, it takes living that word out, and James gives us practical instruction on how to do that. James doesn't spend a lot of time dealing with uh, deep theological truths, there's a place for those, but James is just straightforward, talking to the believer that has right doctrine, but he says how to live right. And if we're gonna live right, if we're gonna live this book, which is what we're supposed to be doing, I see three truths here that it takes. And first of all, it takes a surrendered attitude. In James chapter one, we see verses one through three says, And James, a servant of God of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad, greeting, My brethren. Count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. What was I saying? You've got some good days and some bad days. <laughs> You've got some challenging times and some, and some fun times, beloved. Life, by and large, is a lot of tough days. And you have to learn how to live through those in the will of God it tells us here that we're going to endure some hard times. And we know that in theory. If you ask anybody about it, they would state it themselves that, yeah, I know there's bad days. I know we're going to deal with some hard times. I know that it rains on everybody. But in practicality, we're hoping or expecting it to actually miss us. You know, like when the storm's coming through and you're hoping that the storm misses you, right? Uh, There was a place in Indiana not too far from the college there where uh, one of the contractors I lived, uh, I worked for, but he lived. And uh, it was just a little bit um, what would be east of Valparaiso. And it's amazing how many times a big snowstorm would come through and the college would be covered with snow and Valparaiso would be covered with snow. And he wouldn't have any snow at his house. Happened many, many times. And he had lived there for about 40 years. And he said, this is something I've grown very accustomed to. It, it, because of the terrain in the land. He said the wind rises and there, there's like a huge, you, you don't see it when you're living there. you, you got to get a satellite view. But you can see it, how it causes the storm to just move around. And the thing is, as we, a lot of times in our lives, we're just hoping or expecting that the storm or the challenge is going to miss us. We're not going to have to deal with that, but we need to learn how to live through it. You see, these saints were scattered abroad. Can anybody tell me why they were scattered? Do you remember? Persecution. They were persecuted. They were, they were persecuted. And, but what James tells us here in the truth of this thing is, he says, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. Knowing this, the trying of your faith, work as patience, what he's saying is, listen, God has a plan. And you can count it all joy because in your diverse temptations, in, in your multitude of trouble, in the persecutions that, that you're going through, I know you guys are scattered all abroad. I know it's persecution that pushed you there. But understand this, that's God's plan. It was part of God's plan. And God has a plan to bring you to maturity as a Christian. God has a plan to, to grow you or to take you to where you need to be. And sometimes he allows or lets a storm come into our life so that we can grow in the Lord. Can you imagine if somebody came to my office and said, Pastor Caleb, I just want to tell you about the struggles. And, and they began to pour their heart out to me and tell me about the burdens and the heartaches and the struggles that they're dealing with. And I said, well, glory to God. Boy, just be excited about that. Amen. They'd be like, what? They, they, would, they would walk out and tell my wife, I'm not sure about your husband. <laughs> I, I don't know what's wrong with him. They had opportunity, they might they might tell somebody else, you know, I'm not sure Pastor really cares about us. I was telling him about my struggles, and he said to be happy about it. You see, here's the difference. We're talking about learning how to live. And a lot of times we know biblical truth in theory, but we're not planning to live it in our lives. That's what he said. He says, hey, count it all joy. Be excited about the fact that you know that God has a plan. And although you're going through this struggle, although you're facing this heartache, know that God's purpose is being worked out in your life. And you can be happy knowing that God has a plan for you. Remember it. God is growing you. The very trying of your faith is what brings you to maturity as a Christian. The best attitude as a Christian is a surrendered attitude. Just surrender to whatever it is in your life, whatever challenge or struggle God has brought into your life. Don't fight against that. You remember Paul, he says, hey, how long are you going to fight against the pricks? He's saying, I've been trying to get you. I've been trying to call you to me and you've been fighting it. And finally, Paul surrendered and Paul learned that lesson well. You remember Paul's testimony Over in Corinthians chapter number 12, verses 7 through 10, he says, And lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of revelations, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. For this thing I besought the Lord thrice that it might depart from me, and he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee. My strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, Do you hear him saying rejoice, therefore, most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, infirmities, in reproaches and necessities and persecutions and distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Paul was saying, I've learned how to live what the book says. Understanding that God has a plan I've learned that the thorn in the flesh is for a purpose and that God's grace is sufficient to help me through it. He says, I've learned to just submit to what God's doing in my life. And through that, he learned that although he was weak, he was strong. That's where his strength came from, because he had learned how to submit How do you respond when life throws you a curveball? James tells us down in verse number 19, in verse 20, he says, Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear and slow to speak and slow to wrath. For the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. We recently have dealt with how to overcome anger. We're not dealing with that tonight, but in light of this topic this evening, what he's saying is, You're getting angry about the curveball. You're getting angry and having wrath about what God has allowed or brought into your life. It is not working what God wants to work out and through in your life. You are hindering, you're not submitted to what God wants to do and the work that he wants to accomplish in your life. You're losing the benefit of having to go through that storm. Because your wrath is not accomplishing the purpose. It worketh not the righteousness of God. So he's saying, don't get mad about it. Surrender to what God is trying to do. The best attitude a Christian can have is a surrendered attitude. The best lifestyle a Christian can have is a separated one. Is a separated one. He says in verse number 21, he says, Wherefore, lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness, and receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save your souls. One day, beloved, we're gonna be made like him. One day, this old flesh is gonna be gone. Between now and then, it is our job, our responsibility to lay apart some things. He says, wherefore, lay apart all filthiness and superfluity. I told Mary this afternoon, I said, I like that word, superfluity. It's just a fun word, you know, (laughs) superfluity. (laughs) Uh, we're, We're to lay apart those things. You know, beloved, it's sad that when America got religion, it lost its relationship with God. It's amazing that we can have so many mega churches today. And we have churches in almost every city in excess of 2,000 members and plus. We've got some churches that are running 5, 10, 15, 20,000 members. Lakewood Church, you know, Joel's group, uh, 45,000 members. But it's amazing, beloved, that although we have all this religion, and religion may be on the rise... Righteousness is on the chopping block. Righteousness is being neglected and forgotten. Crime and wickedness is running rampant. Perversion in our society is being promoted. Drug addiction and alcoholism is prolific. The killing of the unborn, the innocent, is said to be a choice. How can this horror be so prevalent in society when religion is so popular? It's because religion is Satan's replacement for salvation. You see, beloved, religion doesn't change a man. True saving faith brings a separated lifestyle. It it motivates you and you determine and decide that there's some things that you will gladly lay apart. That you will gladly let go. Education tries to enlighten men. Religion tries to improve men. But Christ transforms men. A transformed man does not have a hard time laying apart some things. He says in Hebrews chapter 12, verse number 1, wherefore, seeing we are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us, what's the next two words? Lay aside. There's some things that we're to lay aside, there's some weights we're to lay aside, and every sin that does so easily beset us. There's some things we're to lay apart that we're not to let be a part of our life. We're talking about living the word, learning how to live the word and be what God wants us to be as Christians. He says, lay aside all filthiness. Beloved, those things which defile the body, defile the soul. God wants us to be clean vessels, fit for the master's use. He says, lay aside all superfluity of naughtiness. Superfluity is abundance. The abundance. Naughtiness literally means wickedness. The abundance of wickedness. That is the remnants of wickedness, which were once abundant in your life, are to no longer have any part there. We are to bring about true change in our life and lay those things aside. We're to let those things go, gladly getting them out of our lives. I know a lot of you have made tremendous changes. Some of you have been saved just a few years. Some of you have been saved many, many years. You've you've made a lot of changes in your life. You've taken a lot of steps for Jesus Christ. And sometimes we look at it and we say, well, isn't that enough? He says, lay apart all of it. All of it. God wants it all out. We can't afford to say it's good enough. I think about this kind of like a mechanic. A mechanic who works every day, all day in the shop with all the grease. And he comes home and he lays aside those filthy garments. And he goes and he gets in the shower and he gets cleaned up. Those of you that worked on cars at all, or even Brother Greg, who's uh, painted cars, even though he's taken a shower and got all clean, what's on his hands? (laughs) Yeah, no, there's, there's still some paint there. And if you've been working on cars, you're all clean, but you know your wife looks and she's like I thought you were going to clean your hands you know <laughs> you're like well I did they're clean you know but it takes some work you got to dig down and scrub and paint you got to soak them in lacquer and and just it's got to wear off after time but you you're, you go back to work in it and the next day and it's like a never ending process it's there but you got to work at it and work at it and I I don't know if it's the best illustration or picture of this but As I was trying to think about this idea of how we as Christians are supposed to look at our lives and anything that's there that is unpleasing to God, any type of filthiness, any type of sin that's besetting, any any kind of naughtiness that's there, we're to lay it apart, we're to to get rid of it. I think we got to work at it. You got to say, "Oh, I got to get that out of my life." Is anything that's there? We got to search it out and say, "Lord, help me get rid of it." It's a separated lifestyle. He says, lay those things aside. And he says, grab a hold of the engrafted word. Grab a hold of that word, the word that we're supposed to be living by, the word that's supposed to be changing our lives, the word that's supposed to be molding us into the image of his son. Be thankful for your salvation and grab a hold of the Word of God that transforms us from the inside out. So many Christians stunt their growth by mourning over the loss of the world instead of rejoicing over the promise of a new life. Brother Joe said it in his testimony. You know, when you get saved and you come to Christ, you know, essentially is somebody that has the right spirit, the right heart, it's really not a matter of giving up these things. It just happens because you don't want those things in your life anymore. You gladly lay aside anything that you know is displeasing to God. I think a lot of us Christians are like the Israelites. We're crying about the leeks and onions that we used to get. Instead of enjoying and rejoicing in the promised land that he's provided. Not only to live a separated lifestyle, but be a serving Christian. He says in verse number 22, he says, But be ye doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. For if any be a hearer of the word, and not a doer, he is likened to a man beholding his natural face in a glass. For he beholdeth himself, and goeth his way, and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was, but whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty, and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed." This is the heart of the message. To literally be a doer of the word, not a hearer only. To live out what the Bible says instead of just hear it and say, well, that's nice. I remember Daryl Champlin, missionary to Suriname, West Africa, preaching about the love of God and about our love for God. And he described the fact that there are many, many Christians who are Psalms 23 Christians. There are many Christians who hold to Psalms 23 and they put it on their wall and they memorize it and they can quote it and they're a Psalms 23 Christian. But he said there are pitifully few who are Psalms 24 Christians. After spending a lifetime on the mission field, He said, oh, everybody wants to be a Psalms 23 Christian. He's, but, but, but in Psalms chapter 24, he said, lift up your heads, O ye gates, and be ye lifted up, ye everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. He said this is God's call to arms. This is you putting down your pillow and picking up your cross. This is you moving on to the mission field or going out soul winning or doing what God wants you to do. It's saying I'm not just a Psalms 23 Christian and oh I'm glad that he's there with me through the valley of the shadow of death. But while I'm alive and while I'm living I will pick up my sword. I will march into battle with my Lord and Savior to help conquer this world for him. He said pitifully few Christians are Psalms 24 Christians. Living the word. Learning how to live. To do what the Bible says. To hear the word of God and not do it is to deceive yourself. And our pews today are full of Christians who are deceived the word deceiveth there literally means to cheat that's the sad thing is we're cheating ourselves we're cheating ourselves of what we could have in christ what we could know of the joy of the lord but we don't do it because we're not living the word He says there in verse number 25, he says, But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. Shall be happy. Going to be happy. Blessed, Blessed by God. Happy in his deed. Looking into the law of liberty. That word looketh there means to inspect carefully. To look into the law of liberty. You know, the world and the carnal Christian looks at the committed doer of the word and thinks they're not happy. But the difference, the, the, but the, in all actuality, the man is happy. That's what the Bible says. That you will be happy if you do the word. You want to be happy? Do what the book says. I've talked to Christians who are miserable. They're just miserable as Christians. Miserable in Christ. But they're not following the book. I'm saying by their own testimony. You ask them, talk to them, you get into it a little bit with them and you find out they have no walk with God. They're not spending a daily time in, in searching of the scriptures and trying to follow the Lord. You dig in a little bit and get them to get honest with you and you find out that They've been watching things on the internet or on TV that it's not pleasing to God that they know they shouldn't be watching. They've got besetting sin in their life that they're letting remain there that they're not doing anything about. They're not faithful to God's house. And they're miserable. And and they want some type of, of magic fix. Like, let's just fix this. What can we do? Well, the magic is, is live what God said. Do what God said in His Word. And you'll be happy. You'll have the joy of the Lord and it will be your strength. Live the Word. Not just listen to it. Too many Christians feel like they're just auditing the class. You know, when you're auditing the class... You're not too worried about it. Doesn't really matter because I'm not going to be tested on this anyway. If I get some of it, I get it. If I don't, I don't. I mean, whatever. I'm just auditing this. A lot of Christians are living their Christian life just auditing the class. Just getting what they can, but not really looking into the Word. Not really learning it. Not really trying to apply it to live and be what God wants us to be. We say last, lastly this evening a sincerity of heart in verses twenty six and twenty seven. He says if any man among you seem to be religious, he says if it, he didn't say you are, he says if you seem to be religious and bridleth not his tongue, but deceiveth his own heart, this man's religion is vain. Pure religion and undefiled before God, and the father is this to visit the fatherless and the widows in their affliction and to keep. Himself unspotted from the world. Here he is literally describing the difference between a religion and relationship. Religion doesn't change you. But a relationship with Christ that you allow to work in your heart. Brings about change in your life. He says literally if there's somebody among you that seems to be religious. They carry their Bible. They come to church. They talk a big talk. But he's saying and they can't control their tongue. Their religion is vain. What he's saying is just walking with around with a Bible and wearing a shirt and tie and coming to church doesn't make you a Christian. He's saying it's when we let this book change this. That's when our religion is making a difference in our life. That's when it's real to us, when we're living out the word. Not just hearing it. He says here, a relationship equals a sacrificed tongue. That is, when you have a relationship with God, you're controlled the tongue. You're going to control your life. You're going to yield and submit to God. It's a sacrificed tongue. A relationship is a serving hands and feet. He describes here that you're going to visit the fatherless and the widows in their affliction and to keep himself unspotted from the world. A relationship equals a separated life. That's what happens when we're in sincerity doing what God wants us to do. We need to let this book change us. Learning how to live in this world. And we need all the help we can get. But we live Surrendered a surrendered attitude, a separated lifestyle, a serving spirit.